Mom. I'm Annie AK. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bop. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it Still Great Bob? This week we're discussing Season 2, Episode 1, For Those Who Think Young, written by Matthew Weiner and directed by Tim Hunter. This episode originally aired on July 27th, 2008. A little movie no one really saw called The Dark Knight was number one at the box office, having opened the previous week. Opening number two that weekend was Step Brothers, or as Paul Thomas Anderson calls it, Catalina Wine Mixer. Falling from second to third place at the box office was Mamma Mia, a film in which Pierce Brosnan proves that effort matters. Opening new that week at number four was The X-Files, I Want to Believe. The number one song in the nation that week was Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl. Wow. Yeah, it doesn't really hold up. On no. Katy Perry doesn't hold up. <laughs> the Dark Knight does, though, guys. In this episode, uh, Don ain't getting any younger. Betty meets an old friend. Peggy is playing with the big boys now, and everyone is smitten with the new arrival at Sterling Cooper on Valentine's Day. I'm sorry, was that a Prince of Egypt reference? A little bit. Nice. <laughs> it wasn't going to be, but of course, as soon as I said it, I had the song playing in yeah, my head. Nice. Nice. I appreciate you for noticing that. Okay. So it's been a, it's a, been between like a year, a little more than a year between seasons. And uh, how much time between uh, seasons in show? In show? So when we last... When we last checked in with Sterling Cooper at all, it was Thanksgiving 1960. Now it is Valentine's Day 1962. So uh, I've heard of like a gap year after after high school before you go to college, but uh, I think everyone maybe had a gap year. I don't know. We don't know what happened in 1961. Um, except apparently Sal got married is I think <laughs> what we're supposed to imply from that scene. So that seems kind of huge, but yeah. Harry and Jennifer made up after the Hildy thing. Mm -hmm. And we know that that happened. And made a baby. And That's made true. a baby. And Kinsey grew a beard? Yes. Kinsey grew a beard. Upgrade. I wasn't expecting it to happen so soon. <laughs> he evolved yeah. very quickly. Now let's just get Ken Cosgrove a beard. So let's start off this Valentine's Day with Joan in that freaking red dress. Mm -hmm. Looking like a Valentine herself. But she knows what she's rocking, so do we need to linger on how amazing she looked? Yeah, I mean, it's like, welcome back, show. The people in here are pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little primp here and there. And not only that, but it opens the episode with that, and then we also get to creep on her through, like, Roger's POV later in the episode. Mm -hmm. So they double down on that. They really do. <laughs> So what do you think about um, Joan's interaction with Roger? It, we didn't get a lot of it, but I feel like we learned a lot in that, like, five minutes. Yeah, it seems like they've transitioned, like, more successfully than I maybe would have anticipated from their uh, torrid affair into, like, a post-affair friendship. <laughs> it's nice that he uh, stuck to his guns about that, like... We talked about their breakup conversation, and uh, they still aren't together, so he is taking his wife to do something that she likes to do that he hates to do for Valentine's Day, uh, as you do, mm -hmm. and he's, like, living 
vicariously through Joan's stories of like her relationship, which apparently she's in a serious enough relationship that she, when she said like, oh, I know what day he's going to ask me, she's talking about a proposal, right? That was my read, yeah. Same. Yeah. So that was kind of surprising to me. Um, I didn't think that we were really going to see her getting married or getting engaged or anything like that. But then later in the episode, when you see them together, you're like, oh, probably not. She's <laughs> <very> into him. <laughs> Joan is uh, in many ways a professional and she knows what she's supposed to be in the end, I think. Uh, yeah. But she's not super into it. As we saw, she's not very focused on making out with her not quite as hot as I had anticipated Dr. Guy because uh, Jack, Mrs. Kennedy was on TV showing us around the White House and she's like, no, 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 no. I need to see this. This is like super important. This is, I couldn't tell if she was being serious or if she was just like, oh, look, a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe it's like a little bit of both because I think now and 2020 and things like that and you know tv having evolved and internet and things like this we do like something like a tour of like the newly renovated white white house in 1962 or like the documentary now i'm thinking about the the recent season of the crown where they do that bbc documentary that only airs once and it's supposed to show the royal family at home like to gain sympathy it's like there wasn't as much of a window into those worlds into those realms um for the average person so something like that being on tv and being toured around by the first lady was a big deal but then also it could be you know a convenient happenstance too so yeah it was all before social media and people taking pictures and youtube videos of people touring their homes and before that mtv cribs and before then lifestyles of the rich and famous yeah and and i think that we, we talked back last season about um spaces and who occupies them and and spaces that they take up and you know interior private private lives and public lives and the the push and pull between that and i think what we're kind of talking about here a bit too is the idea of the what was what was like a private sphere what was like a you know an elite kind of you know venerated sphere whether it's like the monarchy in in britain at the time or you know the the presidency in the united states at the time had this kind of sheen to it and it was like a window into that and this is also like prime you know new camelot years with uh the kennedys after the election in, in 1960 right so mm-hmm. our young beautiful couple mm-hmm. in the white house who they have a baby they have a baby everybody has babies um i kind of actually saw it as joan like because she knows like the ideal of a, what a woman is supposed to be and, and what she's supposed to become jackie kennedy was kind of that wasn't she she was like this is yeah. Uh, the, what the supportive housewife is supposed to be. She's going to raise the kids. She's going to make everything beautiful. She's going to do everything for her husband who is busy running the free world. <laughs> so it's kind of like to me, just like her being like, yeah, this is important. I need you to know what I'm going to do. And you're going to re- expect it and respect it. And I need to know this is my ideal of what I'm going to be too. Yeah, I believe it. And uh, someone who's been learning a little bit too much from her sometimes. You've got Peggy. Yeah. Very different uh, circumstances for our dear Peg. Yeah. So we get to we check in with her in like the montage of everyone getting ready for work that day or uh, what have you. Um, But when we see her, like we see that the 
the junior execs are still kind of treating her like she um, is still in her old position, like she's still a secretary. They're in that meeting waiting for Don, and they're asking her uh, if there are more glasses, and she's like, I don't know. And he, they're like, well, can you go find out if we're if we're going to see Don today or whatever? And I just wanted her to be like, no, because that's not my fucking job. <laughs> There is a, it reminded me a lot of a scene in Down With Love, which I think you haven't seen, Melissa. Have you seen it, Matt? Negative ghost writer of the past. Oh, gosh. So I don't want to spoil it for you. But there's definitely a scene that's played off as like kind of a big joke. I was like, no, that's exactly this moment right now. Uh, so I don't think it's anything that is like a super new thing. The feminine mystique doesn't come out for another year. So, you know, I think things are still sort of bubbling under the surface for that kind of female anger. <laughs> But um, she looked fairly comfortable at that conference table. Yeah, she really did. And she's doing good work. Uh, she has artwork. She does. Kinsey doesn't have artwork. <laughs> <laughs> and I love like mom- the quieter moments where they're just talking about different ad stuff and it's not like something important is happening. It's like, uh, you know, they're still talking about Clearcell and they're like, oh, I want to do focus group with six- sixth, grader- sixth grade girls this time. And they're like, can you get acne uh, that young? And she's like, doesn't matter. Move on. (laughs) Yeah. So Dawn's late for that meeting, Mm -hmm. right? And they all kind of, they all being Freddie and Kinsey and the accounts boys and everything else, they they have that, you know, oh, where is he? Go find Dawn, blah, 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 blah. And so Peggy does and then goes to to Don's office and, and Lois, who we met last season being one of the girls in the, uh, the phone booth, the one or the, um, operating booth, mm-hmm. the one, the, the one who had the crush on Sal. If, if, if we remember all the way back to last season, Oh yeah, yeah. she's now moved up to, so she got yeah. a promotion. So she moved up to, to Peggy's old, old job and Peggy moved to be a junior copywriter. So good for Lois. Peggy's like, where's Don? And, Pure, pure, honest Lois doesn't cover for Dawn. She's like, doesn't know what's going on and, and tells tells Peggy very clearly, probably knowing that, hey, Peggy and I are co-workers. We're friends. We go way back to at least sometime in 1960. Um, and then Peggy kind of says, okay, I was, and then starts to like walk away, but then comes back and she gives Lois some advice of, how to next answer that question. Mm-hmm. So my qu- my question to to you, Annie, and you, Melissa, maybe we'll start with, with you, Annie, is do we think Peggy was channeling Joan in that moment? Or do we think Peggy's feeling possessive of of Dawn and, and kind of that, that old desk because she thinks she can do it better? Or where's that coming from? I don't think think it's too much of an either or situation i definitely got the joan vibes because i kept thinking this isn't that different of how joan talked to her when she was you know a little underling fresh and new to the office and telling them that they have to protect their their bosses you know and take care of them because they're also their mothers and their girlfriends so i think it's kind of like a whole like i know what your job is this is how you're supposed to do it but also kind of asserting you know I, I'm not one of you anymore. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Cause she can't do that with the men yet. And I think that has a big part of it. I think the fact that they did send her away like a secretary. Yeah. 
kind of like twig something in her and she's like i'm i'm not a secretary i was one i can do that job well uh but let's draw the line here you're gonna talk to me like a superior now i didn't hate it but i didn't like it either yeah and i well i liked it more than um the way she treated the women who came in to read that ad for her at the end of last season. Mm, so mm-hmm. she has taken some good steps in her interactions with other women in a professional capacity. But yeah, I mean, the whole time I was just thinking of, like, Joan specifically told you to be nice to these girls. And it's like a weird dynamic because she was once one of them and she's still seen that way by the men. And like you said, uh, Lois still feels like they have, mm-hmm. like... A, a different type of relationship than the one that I think Peggy is reaching for. Um, and we see, like, Joan kind of blow Lois off about this. Um, when she goes to talk to her later, she, well, for one, she says that she specifically forbids crying in the break room because it <laughs> it causes a morale problem. I'm like, you don't think that that's a symptom of a morale problem you already have? If there's so much crying in the bake room, bake room, break room <laughs> that you need to specifically ban it. Uh, so that's something to look at, maybe, Joan. But, um, you know, Joan is like, you need to get your shit together. She's Miss Olsen. But Joan also asks Lois's opinion about the copier in the hallway, which I was like, all right, so you, like, you still have respect for this person, even mm-hmm. though you kind of had to reprimand them. You are making a point that she knows that she's still, you know, you're still on her side in a way. Uh, and then Joan puts the copy machine in Peggy's <laughs> office and is like, remember when I told you not to fuck with my girls? <laughs> yeah. I didn't even put two and two together. I love that so much. Remember? Well, I and I did like Lois' note where she said, I think it looks good now, but it's going to become messy. And uh, Joan agreed. And I went, oh, is that? Is that foreshadowing? Is it? Mm. Is it just going to be a mess? Uh, yeah. No, I, I like that Joan still was like, I'm going to listen to you. Do we? Here's my thing that just occurred to me just now. Is it possible that both Peggy and Joan with their coldness and their hardness are actually also trying to be protective going don't cry in the break room. People will see you. They'll see you as weak. Mm-hmm. They'll think you're emotional women. Yeah. So it's it's kind of cruel. And she does come after and kind of still like checks on her to, to see what's going on. But she's also just like, suck it up and do your job because yeah. no one else is going to pamper you. I'm going to be a little easy on you and gently correct you the way Peggy did. A little more gently than Peggy. It's it's weird. It's, it's um, not weird. It's just hard to fully like or dislike it I think yeah it's definitely complicated and I've always you know felt that way about Joan but she does you know she's doing I think the best that she knows how to do within the parameters of what she has to work with mm-hmm. and, and like I think seeing that interaction between Lois and Joan and then thinking back to like the first season and 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 Peggy being new to the office and things like that. Like that that copier scene could have really easily been the first half of season one. Like a like swap Lois for Peggy, like whole mm. cloth. Right? And then I, I love that idea and I didn't this I didn't pick up on this when I watched the episode, but because of 
of Peggy's actions. That's why the copier ends up there. Perfect. Makes perfect sense. Um, but then the idea that maybe, like, Peggy's are, are kind of our audience, or I get especially early in the, the first season, and she's how we get introduced to Sterling Cooper and who who is and everything else. But now, so okay, she's she's moved up. She has this different position. But seeing that that Joan and Lois, it's like Peggy isn't unique in that sense. That's just Joan, how she feels. Like you say, Annie is mm. is is doing her job as best as she can. Is is being that kind of tough, loving, like kind of influence because she does care, mm. right? Yeah, she definitely has, like, a cruel-to-be-kind outlook on bringing these young women into their positions in the office. Yeah. Because Joan still did also defend Peggy's actions. She didn't, you know, contradict her to make Lois feel better. She didn't say, look, that wasn't a great thing to do, but just, you know, it'll be fine and ignore it and move on. She said, you will refer to her as Miss Olson now because she is a copywriter, not a secretary. And I, it, that was, I think, a really quiet way of solid, a little quiet version of solidarity, even if she may or may not agree with her, her actions. But it's so fucking professional for her to be, a, for not, for you to not know whether or not she actually liked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, there's all these ways that I feel like Joan is is put upon yes by society and like patriarchy and just even but even like in the context of like the office in microcosm as being that that kind of connection between you know the the administrative staff and the office staff and and the the junior executives and the copywriters like stuck in the middle of all of that is joan having to like walk this tightrope and play this game between like supporting her staff but then not you know, pushing back on the the uh, executives and the copywriters and stuff like that, like just the the politics of that and being able to navigate that just at work on top of all of the uh, the other ways that she's put upon and trapped by how people perceive her personally as well as professionally. It's just like, yeah, it's a lot. Hey, Melissa. Hey, what? I remember you not being a huge fan of Joan at all when we first met her in episode one, season one. Am I correct? Um, yeah, I just didn't understand her, and I thought that she was, I thought that she was like mean because she enjoyed being mean. And since getting to know her, I mean, I can see that she isn't necessarily being mean. She's doing this for a reason, you know, because of her understanding of the world. And she really is trying to set these women up to succeed in this office, even if it is (laughs) hurtful. Mm -hmm. If you're a woman at Sterling Cooper, you're going to get hurt Mm -hmm. if you're successful. Like, I don't think that you can avoid that. We haven't seen anyone avoid it. So... That's sort of awful, isn't it? Yeah. No, I'm uh, enjoying seeing your per- your progression and how you feel about certain characters over time, especially someone like Joan <laughs> that you're blanking like, nope, don't like it, don't want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's also a thing where it's like, if I go in an office and somebody treated me the way Joan treated Peggy on my first day, I would be like, no, <laughs> no. 
not happening. <laughs> it is fascinating that um, the women are allowed to really uh, be so complicated and kind of awful and kind of wonderful and somewhere in between sometimes on the show, which is not something I think even today we still are uh, witness to on screen because now you have this shift towards like the strong female character and it's mostly someone who can kick ass which can admittedly be very hot but um, I do miss characters like this I think we still don't get as much of it as we like would like as I'd like personally yes I agree I like how we're talking about Peggy now we're on Joan <laughs> yeah well they do go hand in they hand. do there's there's so much where Peggy just seems to be following a lot of the same footsteps as Joan. And it's it's going to be interesting to see where she takes that, especially since she seems to have moved past where Joan imagined the ceiling to be. Mm-hmm. If I could, you know, share a little little story that happened once, Please. maybe on Mad Men. Um, so it's Valentine's Day, right? And mm-hmm. consider, if you will, one Peter Campbell, who... Mm-hmm stops i'm assuming on his or either gets his secretary gets hildy to buy him a box of chocolates for trudy or maybe he picks it up on his way home there are two boxes of chocolate you can get you can get the very expensive top of the line pot of gold chocolates with the uh nice guide to what everything is or you can get the great value brand of chocolates on your way home (laughs) That is probably maybe all they have left over because you left it last minute. That doesn't have the guide. Peter grabs the the great value ones, goes home, and then presents these chocolates to his his wife. And what happens, Melissa? Um, he makes her open them because he wants to eat them, and she's like, "Um, all right, fine." And then he eats one, and it's a gross one, and he deserves a gross one. And I was so happy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you deserve coconut and only coconut because those are not even your chocolates. Not only does he make her open the chocolate so he can have one to feel, to abate his feelings, he also admits that the note, he's like, there may be a note. Hildy wrote it, not me. Peter. <laughs> It's like, oh, oh my God, gosh. you couldn't even lie about that. All the, all the lot, things that you are t- being truthful about, that's it? Really? <sighs> but in the face of Allison Brie crumbling in front of you, how can you not soften a little bit? And when she's talking about, you know, how their friends are having kids and some woman on the street has the audacity not to just have one kid, but to also have another one on the way, and she's just standing there living life like that's normal. Yeah, how dare she? And he freaking reminds her gently in the healthiest thing he has ever seen, or ever said, that some you know other people's good fortune isn't a bad thing for them. Yeah, that was surprisingly supportive. I was like, oh, okay, Pete, okay. Um, although I was being physically pained by the idea that they have spent at least a good portion of this missing year trying to have a baby oh. when we know what we know about Pete and Peggy. That hurts. Yeah. I got a question about that. So we know that. 
the guys at the office mm-hmm. are, you know, they're full of gossip conjecture because men are so emotional like that, you know. Uh, they suspect that Don got Peggy pregnant and then she was gone because, you know, she goes away for a bit, comes back. And they and think is- that's why she still has her job, right? Yeah. And when they send her out to um, to fetch Don, it's not like, yeah, she's a secretary. They're like, good idea. He won't yell at her because she's his favorite. It's like, mm. ew. I mean, that, that whole thing is gross. But yeah. like, for me, one of like the most kind of upsetting things is then Peter, Pete comes in, I think like a little bit later to that meeting because they know Don's not going to be there on time. But like, Pete's like, wait. I thought I thought we had confirmation. She went to the fat farm. Like this has been a running thing that they've talked about since she got back. So yeah. f- for like at least I don't know the better part of a year. Like I, we don't know how long she was away, but I mean they've I'll... been having this conversation since they noticed she gained weight. Yeah. yeah, like this is just a continuation of the conversations they were having around. Uh, the weight gain and they're just continuing it with the weight loss yeah so they're all trash and of course they assume because don is so kind to her in as kind as don is towards another profession you know co-worker that it must be his and all that stuff which is another gross diminishing sort of thing to say about her and her success mm-hmm do we think that Pete really believes this, though, that it is a fat farm? Ugh, I don't like that term. That it is, you know, that she went away and lost weight or that, you know, she didn't get pregnant with Don Draper's baby, Dick Whitman, whoever he really is. Uh, mm. Or do we think maybe he knows? Because they they never, they never don't give us any hints about it. No. And if... I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And if he does know, then when he, like, is talking, getting frustrated about, you know, his whole family home thing with not being able to have a kid. And he says to Peggy, kids, what's the big deal? Do you want kids? And after a moment, you just see that little bit of the facade crumble on Peggy's face. And she goes, eventually, and then flees. That would be the cruelest thing he has ever said to anyone. Yeah. Well, and then he even says like, yeah, exactly. So it's like, if he knows, then it's like, he is just trying to subtly remind her that this is a thing that is a secret Uh that like, we don't have kids. Everyone here is waiting to have a kid. We definitely don't have one together. Um, I feel like that for me personally is giving Pete a little bit too much. (laughs) I think that he's a moron. He is a moron. I mean, (laughs) if it were anyone else, I would Pass off as innocent, but also I think he is that terrible of a person sometimes. Oh, he is definitely that terrible. If of a he person. knew about it, so yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think he does. But Justin, I'm thinking now the same way that like Trudy feels, and again, the the woman with the family is just living her life. But because Trudy's feeling all this external pressure from her parents, and you know the need to like keep up if you will like in terms of what's expected of her by society and her parents and her family in terms of like you know their family plotting and stuff like that the way that the existence of you know that that other young mother Trudy like takes on as as a hurt because of you know all those other pressures and again like Annie having the notes about how Pete by even having that conversation with Peggy probably out of ignorance you know of you know what what Peggy's been through and everything else that like must needle like Peggy in 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 very very cruel and very similar ways right especially 
If it is, we're assuming. We don't we don't know. We haven't seen the baby since 1960. Um, and we're 1962 now. But we don't know. Did did she keep it? Did you know? Is it still at home? We haven't. We've only seen Peggy at the office now. Mm-hmm. So, like, how how much is she living with that that kind of reminder? And then how much has her life changed as a result? And then Pete's just to- probably totally ignorant of it. Mm. And she can't tell him or feels like she probably can't, like, you know, because I don't know. It just it'll be interesting to see and, and learn more as we dive more into season two. No, it'll be really interesting because now they're kind of sort of equals and she has a secret. He's going to have to deal with the fallout and he's not known for his emotional intelligence. It's going to be interesting. And how do we feel, uh, speaking of like working together, how do we feel about Peggy and Dawn? Because there is always like kind of a mentor-protege sort of situation going on there. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like Dawn wasn't totally happy with how Peggy was reacting to the the airlines campaign or to her ideas. I liked that he was still in that mentor role and it seemed like he was – um, the the way that he was, what am I trying to say? The way that he was presenting information to that group felt like um, a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. That he was like trying to get them to go for something, and then it continues. It continues that way back in his office, and it seems like you know, it's just it feels like it's just a conversation between him and Peggy. He's trying to get her to land somewhere because, like, he has taken this mentor role with her. But it also felt to me like he was changing the goalposts on her. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. really frustrated by that because when they're in the original meeting, he talks about, like, oh, they want to fly in the airplane so that they can look at the flight attendant's short skirt, da 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 And then later when she's in his office and she says sex sells, he's like, who said? And I'm like, bitch, you said. You literally said. You said said it to her earlier today Mm -hmm. like what do you mean and it's like oh no now I got this valentine from my daughter and so now I think that like missing your family is cute well (laughs) I'm sorry I wasn't there when you were having a personal revelation about how cute your kid is and she is cute no and and I'm doing my best (laughs) and Peggy even says to her she does oh my god my god those boots were solid sir well, and it's funny because Sabrina season three came out today, and so it's like you can see like the adultest Kieran and Shipka on TV right now while we're watching the cutest little baby Kieran and Shipka on Mad Men. <laughs> anyway, yeah. And he is a good daddy in that episode, actually. He like watches the kid, has dinner with Bobby, who he calls BB. Oh my God. And... He asks Sally about to show him what she learned in her ballet class. When he says to Betty when she gets home late, when he's like, Bobby clocked out, I'm like, that is very funny and such a dad thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then when she's like, oh, I got caught in the parking lot talking to such and such, he was like, well, I was here. I'm like, all right, one time. (laughs) Good for you, buddy. It's been an hour. We're not giving out pats <laughs> on the back today. It's been a whole hour. Um, but Matt, what do you think about the Don and Peggy like mentorship relationship right now? I'm into the mentorship stuff. I'm just wondering, knowing what we know about Don, how intentional it is. 
Mm. Right? Because, again, just going back to last season, that idea that, like, Cooper's quote or whatever, that, or he's, I can't remember who he's retweeting, but, like, it's like that a man is whatever room he's in, and I think that that's, that very much summarizes Don. So, like you say, with him moving the goalposts, in that initial meeting, he hadn't had the Valentine yet from from Sally, so, like, he wasn't feeling sentimental. So, yeah, in that moment, sex sells, then he changes his mind. And it's like, okay, the work ends up being even better because of it. Don's mentoring me. This is great. Blah, 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 blah. He's, like, pulling this out for me. And I think when he's in the room and he's present, he's looking for the best thing. But I don't... I just wonder how active that that mentorship is. Because, mm-hmm. again, going back to what we said during the, the season one finale, obviously he was, thought Peggy was, was competent and was into giving her more chances. But he promotes her in a you-know-what measuring contest with Pete right he was don was just going to give her more work he was going to give her the clear cell account but he wasn't going to promote her she's going to be doing that in addition to working as his admin support when pete says "Mm, no i don't want that that's when she gets promoted so Mm -hmm. how intentional is it for don i don't know yet it does seem to be very instinctual and more of like a chemistry like unspoken like drawn together sort of thing i think people are picking up on the fact that there is some uh, like yeah unnamed connection between them and some people are mistaking it for sexual attraction or or an actual relationship i I don't think it is very active at all i don't think he's purposely seeking out this woman who is starting to learn how to talk back and doesn't always say things that he likes and that to 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 nurture and becoming the next Don Draper. I don't see that happening at all. Well, and if he really did feel that way about her, maybe he would have mentioned her when they're talking about hiring young people. Mm -hmm. Like he could have, the easiest thing for him and the win-win for him would have been, we'll put Peggy on it. She's 22. Mm -hmm. And when she brings that point up, someone is like that. You don't count. You don't count. Yeah. But it is really interesting how she is I feel like trying to be like one of the guys and everything. And she is like, oh, he says sex sells. I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to make it really sexy. Mm-hmm. They're talking about, po- you know, dressing up the flight attendant as Pocahontas. Like, I'm going to make it real cute or real hot oh. like that. And there is nothing cute about that. No, Pocahontas was like 13. Just by the way, that was the cringiest shit. Maybe not ever, but. Uh, starting around the you know there's a new wildly the cringy all yeah it was bad it was bad we got it surrounded no circle Please wagons there's new cheese oh, here it's called yeah. mohawk airlines he even mentions the mighty mohawk nation and we're like everything about this conversation is gonna go real bad right now isn't it oh it's a plane flown by indians it's a plane with arrows in the side of it like please stop everything you're doing <laughs> It was not good. It was not a good conversation. And I love that he's talking about, oh, they want adventure. They want excitement. They want to feel like they're going places. And he starts like here, almost like he's hearing his own bullshit. And he goes, blah, blah, blah. Well, <laughs> and when he he's listening, he's like, it could be like a pirate ship. And like, I, did, I can't remember if he said astronaut as, as one of them. But like what the one that stood out to me was a, conquist, a conquistador getting off the ship. I'm like, yeah, this is, yeah. Yeah, that's no, not great. It's that imperialism, not great, Bob. Um, <laughs> as, so. the, as the descendant, as former, as formerly conquered by conquistadors, not super great, guys. Yeah, no, bad, very bad, no good, no thank you. Not a fan. 
the points for knowing the word conquistador past like the age of 18 or whenever people leave school <laughs> at that age. Yeah, I, I think he's kind of just going through the motions there though at that point and that's why he ends up blah blahing himself and he his heart's not in it. So later when he's reflecting back on it, he knows that it was all bullshit. Unfortunately though, his underlings all took it to heart and he's mad about that too and taking it out on them. Don. Which, and we'll get to Don. Oh yeah. Lord. Do we want to talk Betty first? Betty has a sweet hobby now, which I love for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, so I had the vibe for, I don't know why, but in my memory that made up, possibly made up memory, she, it was something she did probably until she was like a teenager mm-hmm. that her yeah. parents paid for it, paid to stable the horse, paid for her shiny new boots. And this is something that she was just kind of doing on her own to have for herself. It kind of reminds me, like, uh, when you were talking about how she used to do it as a kid, it reminded me that she tried to go back to modeling and that didn't fit. Mm-hmm. And so maybe she was like, oh, I used to like this other thing. Like, maybe I'll like that, too. Yeah. Something that isn't just, like, being the mom and Don's wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, she did have, like, pretty big revelations about Don and her relationship, so, like... See, like, the first scene, seeing her, like, out doing something, I was like, yes, okay, great. We are not just Francining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, now we have a we have a whole other second friend she gets to talk to. Uh, yeah. And, like, a 25-year-old who's trying to flirt, apparently. I... <laughs> Which... <laughs> who's engaged? <laughs> I can't ride a horse. <laughs> Which, like, it's not funny. Like... I'm not laughing at someone who can't ride a horse. Like, I couldn't just ride a horse. But, like, the way that that is is funny. <laughs> oh, what does the instructor she, say to him? Too? She's like, do you want to get off here so you can just go to your car? And he's like, no. But she's, like, leading the horse. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just laugh about him behind his back. Yeah, it's very funny. And then she gets to the car and her friend's just like, uh, don't you mind dragging manure into your car? Which we apparently find out, which we find out is apparently new. And she's like, eh, I got little kids. What's the difference? Well, yeah. yeah. And then I could not, dude. And she's lighting that cigarette. She shuts the door, but she doesn't roll down a window. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. Oh, you know, they still. You have con- confirmed manure in your vehicle <laughs> and you're smoking a cigarette and you have the windows open. That's got to smell. Or amazing. the windows closed. The smell. It's got to smell the amazing. Smell. Uh, okay, so next, Betty comes home. She, at some point, gets super dolled up and looks friggin' amazing. Coming down some stairs, like, out of a dream. Yes, and, it, like, it's so dreamlike. All I could think about was in the season finale when Dawn, like, imagines coming home to her to go to Thanksgiving. Yes. And she's not there. But now we have this, like, dreamlike scene. And she's walking on the stairs to meet him for the date. And she is there. And she's real. And it's great. And they're so cute on this date. And, like, I don't know. I just loved the, like, glimpse into their relationship. I was really, really feeling good about it in this scene. <laughs> it's, and it's uh, so something that, and I mean, and I can't remember if we'll get, like, flashbacks is obviously like that's something that exists in the the like dreamlike vernacular of Mad Men as a show but like in Don and Betty 
in missing 1961 and in how Thanksgiving 1960 went between the the reveal about the uh, infidelity of you know Don's calls with the psychiatrist and then what Betty then shares when she knows that you know the information will get back to Don and and Don's you know revelation of wanting to go with them but it was too late for for Thanksgiving what was their 1961 like yeah I like did they like obviously like did they actually talk and and kind of formally reconcile about some of their stuff did it just kind of go unspoken and Don decided to play dutiful husband for a while and be attentive and encourage the writing and like I don't know what I guess we'll We'll have to wait and see what what happens and where it goes, but yeah, when I did... realized it was nineteen sixty two. Sorry, <laughs> that was that was the one thing I felt like a little bit like. Wait, I want to know what happened next, and right, so yeah, there was a moment where I was like, "Did I do I remember what the end of season two, like what the end of season one was like? Did I make up all those events? Did I forget some stuff? Because I feel like we've." skipped a few steps to where things are just so much more convenient and easier like not necessarily easier but there was so much dramatic build-up to the end of the events that unfolded in uh, the previous season finale and then we're just kind of here in the middle of everything where nothing yeah. is happening kind of like when we got dropped in in season one right like yeah it, yeah uh but not everything is completely perfect not everything is easy because no. because betty shows up looking like a freaking Playboy bunny looking amazing in the hotel room. Oh my god, she looks so good. Good for her. Shout yes, out. that whole night, and we still have to talk about her friend Juanita. But that whole night, everything seemed perfect. Just Don looked like he recognized every great thing that he had in his life, and <sighs> then nothing <laughs> happens. Yeah. Well, they meet. They uh, run into Betty's old roommate. Yes, they do. That, and yes. they get to have, like, a cute little, like, that whole exchange was cute, too. When he's like, she's a call girl. And he's like, how do you know? He's like, do you think I'm dumb? <laughs> <laughs> like, just felt like they their relationship was, like, very cute in that moment. I did I did love how, like, the much older man with Juanita. And I love how weirdly common that name is with white women. But I, I've, I've found it in quite a few. But... I love how cranky that older man she's with is just like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to say anything. I don't need anyone yeah. to recognize my voice ever. Don't say what I do. It's fine. Like, let's just, let's, let's, let's get away. You know what? The, yeah. yeah. No, no one pay great. attention to me. I refuse to be memorable. Oh, but then like, so how old would they be? Cause they'd be about the same age. They were 22 when they were modeling. Like what? 26. She was born in 32. So she's 30. And Don's, what, 35, 36? Is that what they said, the doctor? Yeah. He's like 36. I'm yeah. like, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, but also with the health of, like, a six-year-old man. With that nurse, is like, oh, you're a big one. I'm like... <laughs> Lady chill. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then, I meant to mention this earlier, but, like, when Peggy is doing her whole, like, what did you bring for me, Daddy? I was so. Please, <laughs> like, yeah. They like the camera is like looking down at her, like Dawn would be. So she's like looking up, mm-hmm. like 
with her eyes raised. I'm like, please stop for the love of God. And then she's got like her girlier dresses on. Oh, stop. And like her big eyes and her bangs and her like soft little voice and like, no. I don't know exactly where we are in this Betty discussion, but I will not let us go through the episode without mentioning the fact that like they get this hotel room for Valentine's Day. We know what the plan was. That doesn't work out. So for one, they're like, she's like, well, you should eat. And I'm like, for sure, for sure. (laughs) She was just talking about how drunk she was. And then she's like, how can I spin this into a situation where I'm getting food Mm -hmm. instead? And then she's like, she, she knows what she wants, which is great to see. Like, I love that for Betty also, knowing what drunk food she wants, to the point where he just, like, gives her the phone and she's like, okay, fine. So she's doing all this. And then she gets a fucking crab meat filled avocado with a goddamn (laughs) steak in the middle of the night. I'm like, yes, honey. Okay. For sure. Like, I don't know what your Valentine's Day plans were, but I can almost guarantee you this is going to be better. That would be my plan A for Valentine's Day, <laughs> if we're being perfectly honest. Well, I mean, he wanted like, to order, he was ordering cold, cold, like, len- like, leek soup. Potato soup. That's cold. What kind of middle of the night stress eating is that really? Well, and I was cracking up when she was like, no, get shrimp cocktails. I'm like, two. okay, for sure. Two. Like, get we're two. just drunk out here now. And then she's like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, because I mean, like in the past when he's been kind of like shut down and everything and she just kind of plays it off. And then she's just like, just tell me what to do. Never mind. I'm going to tell you what we're going to order. Because she started like apologizing for it. And yeah. Giving like excuses for them. being like, oh, we're really drunk. And then she's like, nope, I'm going to eat now. I'm like, that's really gracious of her. And in a different relationship, I would be like, Mm -hmm. that's so supportive. That's so nice. But in this relationship, I just want to be like, Betty, this is not on you. Like, you don't need to make him feel better for, like, whatever dumb shit he's going through right now. Yeah. Like, it's programming for her at this point to, like, apologize for him to himself. But she's starting to rail against it a bit, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Are we supposed to infer that the... uh blood pressure medication and how Don's taking it probably improperly. Didn't he take a whole handful at one point or whatever? Um, is, is that leading to like him not being able to perform on Valentine's day? Or do we think it's like, like something else? Like I was a little unclear I on that. took it as more of like an emotional thing, but yeah. you're right. Like it, that, the, the side effects of those pills could like definitely be that although if that was going to be the plot point i feel like the doctor would have mentioned it because like yeah. this is a man getting health care um yeah i was definitely thinking thinner, that it was right? more like uh i forget what the one the first one was which i think no and blood thinner isn't what you would give for high blood no. pressure um, okay. uh, I can't remember what the first one is. The second one is phenobarbital, which I know there are other uses for it. My personal experience of it as a health professional, not just for fun, is when someone is had like in a fit of like status epilepticus and can't stop having seizures, and we need to shut their brain down. <laughs> not, oh, damn. It's not. Okay. It's just so the brain brain can rest. It's not even so like it can fix it. It's just so that the brain can rest for like a couple of hours. So the doctor basically prescribed a nap to them. <laughs> I think it's going to be at a lot lower doses than I had to ever administer it to. Right. But it's still like a hypnotic, I think, as well as an anti-seizure medication. Interesting. Uh, it's not super great. Um, just for, for fun. But I'm sure just like 
being asleep and and just considering like thinking about all the other things that it may cause uh i wouldn't be surprised if it does like just cause you to relax a little too much and cause your blood pressure to go down not that the doctor took the blood pressure correctly i'm just saying huh um sorry melissa i I interrupted you there that's okay oh i did just want to mention that like what i thought was causing his performance issues was that his doctor basically told him he was dying and he's being replaced by younger men at work (laughs) yeah that it it, did it had some very good timing with what was happening at the office yeah oh hello side effects of phenobarbital do include impotence and decreased sexual interest cool 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 good to know also depression that's nice i also thought like i this is like me putting a lot on someone that i don't like super know that well which would be don draper i did think like oh like now you like super love your wife and maybe feel guilty about all these affairs you had oh lord (laughs) it's like i don't know Although, fun story, when they discovered uh, Viagra, they were actually looking, they were trying to create a blood pressure, blood pressure medication, mm-hmm. uh, and they realized it didn't work exactly how they anticipated, but they made a ton of money off of it, so. Okay, bonus boners. Bonus boners. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. Uh, I mean, Don is having quite a time. He's being, he's got, and he's he slouch. I don't know if it was intentional because we know that, um, that, uh, John Hamm's not like a thin man. He's always just been like a solidly built, corn fed, all American kind of guy. But when yeah, he's on that. We established that earlier yes. in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So he's sitting on that exam table and he's slouching. When we've seen him to have very good posture, preferably in like white t-shirts and pants, putting together a house. But he's slouching and he just goes full dad bod and it's really disappointing. (laughs) And now this guy is saying stuff like, your blood pressure is a little high for guys our age. And we're like, you look a lot older than he does. We find out he's having added like optimistic level five drinks a day. And two packs a day, and the doctor feels like automatically answers, but you're trying to quit. Two is so many. That is a lot. And it's at the height of like, we know that this is going to kill you. Right. But the good news is, is that Don Draper knows about self-care. And if Don (laughs) Draper's going to take himself out to treat himself to lunch at the bar, he's going to do it. Sure, he has to be at work, but you know what? He just got some some uh, some news he didn't like, so he's gonna take himself out and eat something he probably shouldn't eat, and drink things he shouldn't drink at the bar. And he forgot to bring a book, so you know what he's gonna do? Strike up conversation with the guy. Fucking bug someone else who's drinking. <laughs> exactly. PSA: Don't. I love how strongly you feel about this. <laughs> I know it's in all caps in both my personal notes and the show notes. Like Don would <laughs> this man this little hipster just sitting there enjoying his book and now some square is coming at him asking me if i like the book i'm reading <sighs> why do you think i have my face in a book it's so your dumb ass won't talk to me 
But that's okay. Although, <laughs> if I was, if, like, Don interrupted me in that very case scenario, I would have been like, yo, let me get a bite of your steak and eggs, though. Because that shit looks good. It did look really good. <laughs> it did look real good. He skipped a meeting so he could get steak and eggs. <laughs> it's okay. He's going to have a stroke soon, clearly. So may as well enjoy himself. Eat them yolks and red meat. And lots of things may have changed since 1960, but we still know that Don Draper is a bit of a petty mofo because yeah. when the gentleman, the gentleman hipster, hipster gentleman at the bar is like, oh, I'm reading Meditations in Emergency, a book of po- uh, poetry by Frank O'Hara. He's like, no, you wouldn't like it. You're a lame And Don's like, what do you know what I like? <laughs> So Don goes out and proceeds to I'm, read I'm the read book. That book. <laughs> yeah. I'm read that book right now. He's, he's going to show that beatnik hipster that he doesn't know him. Don's unknowable. He's going to read that book. And he reads it cover to cover and then decides to gift it to we don't know who Somebody. in the mail. I genuinely don't remember who. <laughs> so now I'm sitting here going, who? was it i have a suspicion or two yeah one of them i think is spoilery so i will refrain that that's who i think it is too every freaking episode (laughs) it's like oh look how nice don is oh last five (laughs) seconds shitbag well we don't know if it's him being a shitbag i mean he's being secretive sure but well i guess i should say we don't know what kind of shitbag he's being he didn't write an inscription in a book to his wife. Fair. It's a girl. I mean, it might not be a girl. I'm like 99.99% <laughs> It's a girl. <laughs> but I mean, way to not be a total boomer there, uh, Don. Even though the hipster <laughs> totally okay boomered him, basically. Yeah, no kidding. I do. I did enjoy how this whole. It's weirdly um, applicable. Uh, it's weirdly applicable today with the OK Boomer stuff going on and all these old people talking about oh freaking millennials, these young people who don't know how to work. Meanwhile, usually someone is saying it to me while we're at work. Me being a millennial, when I'm like I'm like sweating <laughs> to keep someone yeah. from you know getting hurt or dying. It's like thanks, thanks a lot. Uh, you know, this discourse about, like, how old our can- presidential candidates are and all that stuff. And then you have Don being told he's not getting any any younger and that he's probably going to die soon because he's getting at that age. And you've got Sterling and Cooper being like, we need more young people. Yeah, and then the whole, like, I mean, the title of the episode is for those who think they're young, right? So the whole theme of, like, generations and duck wanting you know we touched on it before younger people to to get these coffee accounts because young people don't drink coffee anymore they drink coke and pepsi and 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 pop as 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 i call it um i'll dangle a pepsi out there see if i can hook a stroll (laughs) (laughs) um but it's kind of like as in like re-watching this show again not for the the second time but for this this project it's it's interesting because we kind of have more than three, but we say let's say four four ish generations in the office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't see Bert in this episode, so I'm not counting him. He'd probably be like the fifth. But you have, you know, Roger, 
then you have kind of like your ducks and 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 Don a little bit. I think Don's probably like a bubble a bubble person. Um, then you have like your your Kinseys and your your Kens and your Peets, and then you have these these the twenty two year olds like Peggy and um, this uh, new cutting edge um, art and copy person director the the Smitty and, and Kurt people that that Don interviews with. Because they both dawned... have the name Smith. Sorry, continue. Yep, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it, it dawned on me watching the episode that when this episode aired, I was in the hooking the stroller with the Pepsi demographic, and now it's like I'm more in that, and I was picking him because he's the one who made the, the list of the younger people, but like the Kinsey mode where it's like, Oh, I'm not really a kid anymore. I mean, so it just kind of as I track this show and how my perceptions of it have changed, part of it is like what I relate to then mm-hmm. or where I kind of fit has kind of changed. So that's interesting too because there's that conversation last season when they're talking about the election where it, it felt kind of generational and like the the Peters and the Pauls and you know so on and so forth. They were the younger ones saying, "Yeah, nope, you guys need to pay attention to Kennedy. He's got a chance. He appeals to something." And then Roger poo-poos it. So it's just funny how that's already shifted for them two years later. It didn't take a lot of time at all. Yeah, well, if if Don's 36 and has one foot in the grave, I don't, I don't know what this <laughs> is about the rest of us. I think, well, okay, so I just looked it up. Don is, like, right at the very, very cusp of the greatest generation or the GI generation and uh, the silent generation uh, who yeah. came right after them between uh, the great generation and the boomers. So basically all still just old enough to be very like, oh, kids these days. But Don does attempt to um to to concede to these desire you know, the, the demands for more young people and he invites some people like Kurt Smith. I like the contrast of what they're wearing to all the suits and everything that the men are wearing at the office, mm-hmm. including that like ransom Drysdale dives out sweater. Great, mm-hmm. great, great sweater. Great sweater. I saw it across the room and went, oh, it's a freaking knives out sweater. Good for you, buddy. <laughs> Hire him now. Even though he can't seem to understand English grammar. He's the artist, though. Smitty is the, Smitty is the copy. True. It's very confusing, though. No, I just, and I, I think I don't spend much more time on it, but like, with it, another thing I'm curious about with the time jump is Duck was just getting hired. When mm-hmm. we last saw them a year and a bit ago, now he's been there a year, and I definitely feel like there's tensions between what Duck wants and, and, and Duck's vision and kind of Don's kind of painfully Midwestern approach to everything and kind of like, you know, whatever. So we'll we'll see how that, that kind of tracks, because he has mm-hmm. that whole quote. I have it here in the notes. Don says to Duck, so now I've given you your babies and your Xerox machine. Should I throw in a couple of elephants? I don't want there to be an excuse why you can't bring in Martinson's coffee. So I feel like Don has a new rival. Maybe it's not Pete anymore. Maybe it's Duck this season. So we'll we'll see where that goes. And mm-hmm. and I think related to that too, we see Roger playing Peacemaker again, like he did between Don and uh, Pete when it was almost Pete Campbell's last day. And, uh, yeah, you, it's just, it's just interesting to kind of track. And I think how Roger 
manages that conflict is is interesting because he pulls a similar move, right? Mm-hmm. So it is. Um, now that you mention it, it is really interesting to see Duck already so confident in his role, and unlike someone like Pete, he is kind of a worthy adversary. For sure, but he is like the the business side to Don's creative side. So. Don just wants to do the work and do it honestly and doesn't need the bells and whistles and like you know it's just the work will bring the clients and don's gonna do his job isn't it fascinating though how don manages to make the work sound so noble and like they are the only ones who are privileged enough to carry this torch but you're like dude you're just you're just objectifying your audience to make money and he even Mm. tells uh peggy you know when he's doing his whole sex sells thing um, and getting annoyed that she would be so simplistic about it. He says to her, you are the product. You feeling something is what sells. It's like, yeah, that's probably not a good thing. We didn't really talk about Betty and the mechanic. Oh, yeah. Was anyone else a little afraid for her? Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely was. Yeah, uh, yeah deeply. I had a tow truck driver add me on Facebook. Go. Oh. Because he got my first and last name off of a personal check that I had to write him because they only took personal checks. And then I was like, okay, so he is using the information from a personal check in an inappropriate manner. Uh, Hopefully he draws the line at Facebook stalking because my fucking home address is also on that. Oh, no. I was terrified. (laughs) That's not great. But that's what I thought about during this scene. <laughs> oh, no. It was kind of odd, though, how, like, almost giddy she was about it, too. Like, it excited oh, her. Oh, yeah. Well, I th- she did it on purpose. Yeah. Like, I mean, her- she didn't break her car down on purpose, obviously. Mm-hmm. But she was like, um, you know, I think that she was just like, oh, Another girl my age is, like, a whole call girl. Like, can I get something, like, for flirting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was yeah, thinking... Cause... Go ahead. No, so they're obviously, like, not hurting for money, and they could have just put it on an account and got the bill paid. Like, she, like, didn't need to pay cash, right? Like, at what... And, yeah. I was thinking about the relation, the connection or similarity between... Betty kind of seeing this whole world of possibility because that could have been her, you know, that was someone she knew when they were 22 Mm. and sort of this, I don't want to call it empowered her, but in the sense kind of recognizing her own personal power for better, for worse and using it in a patriarchal world in which Mm. that is her main currency because I don't think she really has before. Uh, versus Peggy kind of using her own power. Admittedly, she used it against Louise. But it is kind of like, um, yeah, I kind of saw it as like the start of something, not just accepting their own place and letting the world push him around a little bit. I don't necessarily think it's a good thing, but I don't think it's a terrible thing either. Yeah, I agree. I guess the only other thing I wanted to kind of mention kind of 
check before the the fun thing is again talked we we met Carla last season kind of towards near the end and she got a couple more scenes so when Don comes home when Peggy ends up having mm-hmm. the the car troubles left there that was kind of we see Don and Carla interact and that's when Don was doing some some dadding um although his dadding and... involved hey I'm gonna pour myself a drink do you need a ride <laughs> yeah and Carla just so like I felt really bad for her in that instance because she just so gracefully like declines and it's obvious why she's declining but it Uh would have been difficult to navigate that without explicitly calling it out and then you know it's it's her job and that's her boss Mm -hmm. right so i i felt for her in, in that instance and i'm Hope for more Carla in the the episodes to come. Because Carla um, is clearly a smooth operator. Mm-hmm. The other thing I just wanted to check in on is I had totally forgotten that this episode had a Star Trek The Next Generation connection. The uh, woman that's working at the, the stables and, and teaching the fellow had a ride that we mentioned earlier and taking care of the horses and stuff is played by Denise Crosby. I am pretty sure it's in an uncredited role. And yeah, she played uh, Natasha Yar in the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation and then had a reoccurring role later on as a half Romulan as her own daughter because timey-wimey-ness. So (laughs) there we go. All right, well, I think we did it. So in the meantime, Annie, where can we find you? on the internet you can find me on twitter and instagram at pop artery p-o-p-a-r-t-e-r-y i am also have another podcast called the daily nightly all about jane austen me and a friend of ours jesse are reading through all her books and talking adaptations and general book nerdiness it's quite wonderful and it is you can join us thank you how about you matt you can find me on Twitter at at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. And last episode with Dr. Ellie Sattler, my dog's appearance, I wanted to correct her Instagram handle that I said because I spelt it wrong. So it's dogtor, D-O-G-T-O-R, underscore Ellie, underscore Sattler, at, at Instagram. And it's the only time I'm going to do it. I just felt bad that I said it wrong and now my dog doesn't have thousands of followers like my brother <laughs> my brother-in-law and sister's dogs so oh you know, that's clearly why not because you know i post infrequently but hey yeah, i did the dolly parton challenge today so there we go um what about you melissa where can people find more of your work on the internet you can find me on twitter at mellow yellow which is me double L-O-O-Yellow, and you can find me as the co-host of the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Our episode about our favorite movies of 2019 should be coming out shortly. And if you want to find all of us together, you can do that at Still Great Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you like the podcast, please rate and review it on the podcatching app of your choice. And uh, see us next time when we are talking about Season 2, Episode 2. Yeah. Looking forward to it, guys. Bye. Bye. Later days. I mean, on a scale of relatively speaking, it is the lesser of the Mamma Mia's. Here We Go Again is a masterpiece.